If uh, you brought a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up and join me. Our reading today is from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Galatians 5, 16. The Apostle Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But you are led by the Spirit, not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, today is Father's Day, as we mentioned before, and, and it got me thinking about a common phrase. I don't know why this came to my mind, uh, that parents and grandparents often use with their kids, and it, it usually comes in, in a number of different forms, but starts with at least the same four words, and those four words are, back in my day... How many people here online use those words, right? Back in my day, I had to go uphill both ways, right? Ten miles, right? I was thinking about this, and I was thinking then, where did that come from? Like, where did that come from? So I did a little bit of research, not a whole lot, so I can't say I found the earliest uh, place where it comes from, but I found a place from quite a bit ago, and it was a newspaper, the Tallahassee Democrat, where in September 1956, there was an article that talked about going uphill both ways back in my day. And that article's title is Parents Misunderstood by Teens. I, I kid you not, this is a real newspaper. This is a real newspaper article. And the article begins with these words. Tallahassee teenagers are just a little tired of hearing how tough things were for mom and dad when they were young. And so I guess some things don't change. A couple of quotes from the article that I want to share with you. First one, uh, or actually before the quotes, it, it, this, this is how it begins. They, these teens, they chafe under parental noisiness about what they've been doing. And they've been given up trying to understand some of the reasons or lack of reasons for not being able to get permission to do what they want. Such were complaints of a panel of junior and senior high students last week on what parents do that we don't like. Next week, we're going to give parents a chance to say what they don't like about teenagers. Volunteer statements will be welcome. <laughs> Now, I haven't looked up next week's article, but I'm going to this week. I want to read that one, too. But here's, here, this gets better. These are the quotes that I mentioned before. These are some of the teenagers and what they said. One said this, to hear the folks tell it, they had nothing but hard times, one teenager said. They walked three miles to and from school uphill both ways. Here's another one. 
When they got home from school, another one said, they had to slop hogs, milk cows, and cut firewood and carry it in. Another one said, and I just don't see how they did it because it was always daylight when they went to school and dark when they got home. Yeah, another one commented, and it was freezing cold weather all the time. Now remember, this is the Tallahassee Democrat. This is Florida, and it was cold then too, apparently. Now the entire article, I wanted to just kind of read the whole thing. We don't have time this morning. It's all hilarious, and I'm pretty sure it was intended to be funny. But the reason that it's so funny is because it's true, right? It's, it's true. It's very true. And I, I did the math. Teenagers that were interviewed in 1956, if you do the math, the 13-year-olds, the youngest of the bunch, they're at least 78 years old today. That's how old the ones that were interviewed are. But yet, if you interviewed a 16-year-old in the year 2021, you would get the same answers, wouldn't you? I'll read one more quote. It said, it said this, last quote. The teenagers were making their point that parents refuse to realize times have changed. That's one of the things they dislike about their parents. Which, believe it or not, is not far off from the tension that we're addressing in our scripture reading today. You'll see that in just a minute. Our, uh, we're in our third week of what we're calling the Fruit of the Spirit. It's our summer series, and it's going to take us through the entire summer, but we're getting to the heart of where it all comes from in our reading today in Galatians. And so like usual, there's a little bit of backstory that's really helpful and relevant if we're going to understand this passage. Now, the Christian faith is the fulfillment of promises that are made in the Jewish faith. It's not disconnected from its history. It's not disconnected from its people anymore than you and I are ever disconnected from our history and our culture and our family and from where we come from. And so God promised that through the Jewish people that he was going to send the world, Jews and non-Jews alike, a Messiah, a Savior. And 2,000 years ago, the Savior came, and his name is Jesus. But prior to Jesus, God had given his people the law. He gave them the Old Testament, which outlined the way in which God called people and designed them to live and to be. The problem was no one was ever able to actually do it. No one was ever able to actually live up to it. And that's why Jesus came and was the first and the only one to ever perfectly do all of it. And then by dying on the cross as payment for our shortcomings, he gave credit, credit for his fulfillment of the law to all those who follow him and believe in his name, according to the apostle John. That's what we call grace. That through Jesus' sacrifice, we are saved. Through what he did, we are saved, forgiven. No strings attached. There was just one problem. The entire Jewish tradition was built upon a history of people who had been trying to earn what God had given everyone for free. And so while a good number of them were willing to receive the free gift of grace and forgiveness that Jesus came to give them, they were also lecturing new Christians around them about all of the hard times that they had been to up until this point. You know, back in my day, they said, before Jesus, we had this magnificent temple. 
We used to have to buy animal sacrifices. Every boy and male had to be circumcised. And we did it all going uphill, both ways, miles and miles, in the snow of the desert of the Middle East. Okay, it doesn't say that, but you kind of get the point, right? And they said, if we had to do it that way, then you should have to do it that way as well. You see, not much has changed. And so these people were preaching this, that you can receive the gift and the hope and the love of Jesus and the forgiveness as long as you do all the things that we've always had to do. And the Apostle Paul would call that a false gospel. He would call that a false gospel. And they would call the free gift of God's love a false gospel, the gift that Paul and the other apostles were proclaiming, that Jesus' love and acceptance and forgiveness is free, and they would say that that's wrong. And they would say that because they would say, how can something that we worked so hard to try to earn ever since we were young be given to these new Christians no strings attached? And so then I think about Father's Day. I think about being a parent And isn't that a tension that parents and kids can relate to? I mean, can't we understand that? I mean, on one hand, we don't want to raise kids that that don't appreciate the hard work it takes to earn something, right? And at the same time, we, we, we want them to have a better life than we did. We don't want them to have to go through all of the challenges and learn all of the lessons and have all of the struggles that we had. You see the tension, right? And so you've got the Apostle Paul here writing to the Galatian Christians, reframing the good news of Jesus for people who struggle with this tension. And basically, he's explaining that it's not about doing the hard work of keeping all the rules, but it's about understanding that Jesus has done the hard work for us. And if that's true... And going back to earn what Jesus has already painfully earned on your behalf with his life and by pouring his blood is foolish. It's foolish. It would be like somebody buying something for you and then you going to the bank and taking out a loan for it, not getting any of the money, of course, and just paying it back again. It would be absolutely foolish. And in one of the most succinct points that he makes on this fact, he says in Galatians 2.19, and the message paraphrase puts it well, this is Paul saying, what actually took place is this. I kept trying to keep the rules and working my head off to please God. I went uphill both ways, lots of miles, my entire life, and it didn't work, and so I quit being a lawman. And I quit being a lawman so that I could be God's man. I try to remind fathers every Father's Day, as a fellow dad who doesn't do this perfectly, but, but I try to remember to say this every Father's Day, some of the best wisdom that dads can give to their children, doesn't matter how young or old your children are, is not how you have gotten everything in your life perfect up to this point. It is not the best wisdom to share with your kids. All of the things that you've done right and how everything that you've done has been perfect. The reason why is because all of us are hardwired to look up to our fathers, right? 
All of us are hardwired to look up to our fathers. No matter how good our dad was, no matter how bad our dad was. And so if a father's message to his children is that he was perfect, they're going to internalize that. And for the rest of their lives, they're going to try to attain a perfection that they're never going to be able to attain. And do you know why they're never going to be able to attain it? Because dads, you and I know that we haven't attained it either, have we? We're not any better. And Paul says, I'm an apostle, and I haven't either. He says, and I've tried. I've tried hard. In other places, he says, I was actually pretty good at it. I did a lot of things, but it still didn't work. And so I quit. And so because Paul quit trying to earn it, God took his inability and he used it to point to others what only God can make possible. Fathers, some of the best wisdom that we can share with our kids are the moments when we're not able to do something. When we have to apologize to them for making mistakes that they've seen and sometimes mistakes that they've even been the, the recipients of the negative consequences of. Because what God can do with our inabilities and the things that are not possible for us is he can point our children, as he used Paul, to point these early Christians to what God can make possible. Verse 21, Paul says, Is it not clear that if you go back to keeping that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion, that it would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God. I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. You can't earn it. You can't earn it. It's not the way it works. And the truth is, when we think about our faith, when we think about the gift of our life, if we're really honest, as much as I know the, the American narrative loves to talk about how we've all pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps, we've done everything ourselves, and everything we earned, it's all about me, and I've done it all, the truth is that's not true either, is it? You haven't walked uphill both ways your whole life. I haven't walked uphill both ways my whole life, not when it comes to faith. Now, it doesn't mean that we haven't tried doesn't mean that life hasn't been incredibly difficult for many of us, but life itself is a gift, isn't it? It's a gift that we don't earn. The legs that we walk on that hill, uphill, both ways, are legs that are given to us as a gift by God. It's all grace. Life is grace. Eternal life is grace. And so if this new Christian faith is no longer connected to perfectly following rules and earning our way because we can't, then the next question is, is there any work left for us to do, or do we just sit back and receive it? And the truth is, no, there's absolutely work for us to do, but the work is no longer tied to earning something, it's tied to living out what God has earned on our behalf. And this is why Paul says in our reading, in chapter 5, verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Now, the Greek word here, to walk by the Spirit, might be better translated, not well in English, but to say, be walking in the Spirit. It's present tense. For some reason, every time I read that, I think of Aerosmith. Remember the song? Walk this way, right? Like, that's what Paul's saying. Before he sang it, Paul said it. Walk this way. This is what we do. It's an ongoing thing. 
It's not something you did well in the past. It's not something you can do right now. And it's in stark contrast to those things, which is why he shows us the opposite of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit when he refers to the acts of the flesh. Verse 19, he says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm always challenged by that list. Because for all of us, we would take that list and we would break it up into categories, wouldn't we? Categories of things that are worse, and things that really aren't that bad. And then Paul takes them and he ruins all of our categories and says, at the end of the day, they're all the same. He lists witchcraft alongside selfish ambition. He lists orgies next to envy, debauchery next to jealousy, as if to make sure that none of us get this idea that if we've avoided some of those things, that somehow we're not just as much in need of God's grace as anyone else. And then at the same time, I think, you know, as I read this, I'm not sure that Paul's point here is necessarily to make anybody feel guilty either. He's just trying to show us that none of these things work. I mean, take envy, for example. How many of us have been guilty of envy? Okay. Okay, the rest of us are guilty of dishonesty. We're not raising our hand, right? So we're all in the same boat, right? Right? When you envy what somebody has, you want what they have, right? And so then you pull out of your toolbox that selfish ambition and you go and you get it, right? And you get it and are you happy? Are you fulfilled? Do you find joy? Do you find peace? No! If you have any experience with envy, you know that eventually you're going to envy something else, someone else. You're going to have selfish ambition for something else. How about fits of rage? When you're upset about something, you have a fit of rage. How many times have fits of rage fixed relationships and brought love and joy and peace and patience into your home, right? These things never do. And that's why Paul says there's a different way to live. There's a different way to live. It's not acting, it's walking. Walk by the Spirit. And then he explains it this way. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Acts are what we do. Fruit is what we grow. Acts are what we do, fruit is what we grow. And here's the problem. We try to find an act that will bring us the things that God says will only grow from our relationship with him and his presence and spirit in us. You can't one and done any of the things. You can't act any of the things in a single moment that are listed as the fruit of the Spirit, right? Like, I can't go home this afternoon and say to my wife, you know what, I've got, um, I've got peace and joy on my to-do list, so I'm going to go take care of that. It should take me about a half an hour, and then I'll have peace. <laughs> right? Does that work? Does it work that way? Right? right? Do I just make sure that I, I love my wife? You know, I, I schedule just the time. You know what, I'm going to love you from 9 to 10.30 on Tuesday. Does that work for you? It's all it'll take. I just need to do a couple things, and you know what? Then you'll feel loved and fulfilled, and we'll have joy and peace in our relationship. Is that how this works? No. 
No, right? That's not how these things work because that isn't how fruit works. Fruit grows. We walk in the Spirit and we watch the fruit grow. And so if that's the way this works, then the question that I want to leave us with today and I want us to pray about throughout the week is, is if that's true, then how do we find more fruit in our lives? How do we see more of this fruit in our lives? And, and I look back at the last time I preached on this passage. It was like seven years ago now. And I remember, I forgot about it until I looked back. But I shared about this plum tree that we planted in the front yard of my childhood home. It looked just like, this isn't the one, but it looks just like the plum tree. It was beautiful. It was tall. It was lush. It had these big purple leaves. It had strong branches. There was just one problem, though. This plum tree never grew any plums. It never grew any plums. And to be fair, my parents were actually told that when they planted it, it wouldn't bear any plums. And they didn't expect any fruit, which only made it that much more surprising when one year we were walking through the front yard and under our feet we found something. We stepped on something. Can you believe what it was? It was a plum. And we looked around and there were more plums all around the tree. And then we looked up in the tree and there were plums hanging from its branches. After years, suddenly this year, there were plums. And so, of course, we ate them and they were delicious. They were good. And I think about that tree. And I think about the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I think about my own experience being like that of the plum tree. Too often in my life, I don't find those things growing out of me. I find those things when I stumble upon them. Do you experience that too? I find those things when I stumble upon them. And so later I did a little research and I was wondering, why doesn't a plum tree bear fruit? Why doesn't a fruit tree bear fruit in general? And I, I learned, I'm not, I'm not an arborist or anything, but I learned some things. And there's a couple of potential reasons. One of them is it has to do with the environment. That maybe the environment isn't right, that the soil is bad, there's not enough water, there's no bees to pollinate. And, and I guess I could say the same thing, Right? Right about the fruit of the spirit, like like when my environment is right, when all the kids are happy and well rested, when my wife isn't mad at me, when I've had a cup of coffee and that caffeine is just hitting my bloodstream, it's easy to stumble upon love and joy and peace and patience and all of those things. But when my relationships are bumpy, when the world feels disorienting, when the coffee runs out, that fruit seems to go away. And the problem is, with trees and with people, you can't usually just uproot yourself and move to a new environment, can you? Sometimes we're stuck. And it's true for people, too. You say, well, I, I can move. I could get another job. I could get another spouse. I can move to another state. But here's the problem. You're going to go wherever you go. <laughs> You're going to go wherever you go. And it's about what you're rooted in. And a bad environment, in the case of the plum tree, was not actually the reason it wasn't bearing any fruit. Because the tree looked great. If you look back at the picture that I showed you just a second ago, Pammy, if you could show that again, this really is exactly what the tree looked like. It was big. It was healthy. It even bloomed beautiful flowers every single year. 
And so I had to do a little bit more research. If the environment isn't the problem, then what is the problem? And there's only one reason left why a fruit tree won't produce fruit, and it has to be a problem with the roots. It has to be a problem with the roots. The only way to solve it is if the roots grow into a new source of life. And that had to be what happened to my parents' fruit tree. And friends, it has to be what happens to you and me. It has to be what happens to you and me as well. That's why Paul says, walk by the Spirit. It begins by rooting yourself in Jesus, who we learned the first week is the vine, so that we might become the branches. And once we are rooted in him and him in us, then we walk. We walk by the Spirit and we allow his fruit to grow in us. So let's pray for that truth to be true for us now. Lord Jesus, we pray and we ask and we seek that our roots would be firmly planted in a ground that draws them down to the well that will never run dry. The well that you told that Samaritan woman about in the middle of the day that we might never be thirsty again if we drink from your well, if your water would bubble up inside of us and bring us to the everlasting life that you have offered us, an everlasting life that we are called and invited to live in today as we walk by the Spirit. Lord, on this Father's Day and as a father, I just pray for myself and I pray for any of the fellow dads in our midst today that, that we might do maybe the most important, absolutely the most important thing that we can do as fathers right now in this room, in this place, and that is to realign ourselves by being rooted in our heavenly Father that our love for our children might be an expression and a foretaste to them of the love of their Father in heaven, a good Father who we are called to call Abba, Papa, Daddy. We're reminded of that truth as we think about the reality that as fathers, none of us have been perfect dads. And as children, none of us had perfect fathers. And so like the Apostle Paul, might we look at our own imperfections and the imperfections in the lives of those around us and help them to be used by you to point us to the things that are impossible for us and are made possible in you. Life itself is a gift it's a gift that we cannot earn. Our salvation is a gift that you have extended freely to us. But it doesn't mean that we don't have work to do. Our work is not to earn. Our work is to walk. To walk by the Spirit. Help us to